Hello, I'm your host, Angelina Janis, and this is the CX Cast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CX Cast. And welcome back to Pete Jock. This is your third time on the CX Cast. Thank you for coming back. Hi, Angelina. Thanks. It's great to be back. I always love uh, participating on these. Well, and every time you've come on, you've had a different topic to cover, which is very impressive. All the different research you do on the CX team here at Forrester. For those who don't remember, Pete Jock is a principal analyst on the CX team. And today, one of his reports caught our eye. It seems to be an annual thing on the CX team to put together a little planning guide for customer experience, which makes sense because every year we survey CX teams and we get to know whether their budgets are growing or shrinking and what they're planning to spend money on. It would be really helpful to know how to align spending so that we get the most action and impact. So Pete, tell me a little bit, if I'm on the mark here, what, what is the purpose of the CX planning guide that you've put out? Yeah, you've really hit upon one of the main goals there. And it's really, it's, it's a great benchmarking tool for organizations, for CX leaders to use to see, you know, what, how is my budget comparing perhaps to others uh, like me? We, we, in the report, we don't provide a lot of broken out siloed details, but certainly uh, you know, that, that information is available. And I'll say too, I'll just add in that the, the planning guide you know, I'm, I've managed the, the effort for the last couple of years for the CX team. There are other planning guides for other services as well. But the goal in as a kid is benchmarking. It's also to really to understand within the broader context of other Forrester research, what CX leaders need to be thinking about as they go into the next year, as they're planning now, as we're into 2024, what they should be thinking about as they budget their uh, allocation, or I should say, as they allocate their budget to different categories and to different spend this year. So one of the things that I, as I've talked to companies specifically about this report over the last few months, one of the things I typically do is to provide a little bit of context, not only in terms of our recommendations for the uh, planning guide, but also now that the predictions, the CX predictions report is out there, you know, the two really work well together to say, here's also why we've made certain predictions. And as a result, here's how to think about it for your budget purposes. And one of the big tells for this year has been in our CX uh, index research, we saw for the second consecutive year, a drop in the quality of CX as reported by consumers across the country. And, and, and again, this is quite telling. This is the first time we've seen two consecutive drops. Last year was the first since it, it reached, since the CX index reached a high of 72.0 on a 100-point scale that we use. And there's you know, a couple of reasons that we're postulating as to why this drop has occurred. One of them, more from the organizational perspective, was identified through our customer obsession research. Char Van Boskirk, who leads that, for, that effort, saw that last year, the proportion of companies that were considered customer obsessed had dropped from 10% to 3%. And we see that as kind of a leading indicator that subsequently then we saw that drop in the, in the CX quality. And one of the, or, or some of the findings that Sharp uh, uncovered in that report is that for a number of companies, what's happening is that they're not seeing as much of a return on their CX efforts as they hoped. And so executives and leaders are starting to wonder, is this worth the effort? This is a lot, you know, it's a lot of hard work 
to move the needle, to really make that CX transformation that a lot of organizations need to do to have that sustained improvement in customer experience quality. So again, uh, CX leaders are starting, or I should say executives are starting to question the effort, question all that's been being put into it. Another thing that we saw happening was we're coming out of the pandemic and organizations now are looking at the efforts that they had in place to serve customers during the pandemic, very different environment, a lot of remote digital channel use. And now they're saying, hey, we can go back to the way we were doing things before. However, customers had gotten used to the way things were happening in during the pandemic. They liked some of the new approaches and new ways, the new channels they could engage with, with their the brands that they work with. And they started thinking, why are you taking this away? We actually liked it. So we think that had an impact on, on quality perceptions as well. So, you know, there's there's a few things again that are helping us to understand why quality went down. And the last thing I'll mention, which ties directly into kind of this planning guide, is one of the uh, items that we see as well is the low percentage of leaders, CX leaders, who are able to show the connection of CX to ROI. So it it relates to that first item that I mentioned, but it's also more specific that CX leaders need to continue doing a better job, need to work harder at demonstrating the connection between their efforts and the return on investment for the organization. So again, we see that coming from our state of CX teams research. And we, what we're hoping on doing now with both this planning guide and the predictions that have come out is encourage CX leaders to really make that effort and work harder towards showing that connection between the two. It's interesting because you've cited a lot of different sources that came together to help with this planning guide. And I'll be honest, when I, I've seen a lot of CX leaders strategy decks in my day, and there aren't a lot of different sources cited in them. It's usually just, here is the strategy we're going to go forward with. So placing bets on where to put the spending without really thinking about, okay, what research do I have on hand? to determine a best path forward. It's more of an observation, but maybe something to encourage folks to think about, how can I be more thoughtful in my planning? So because every single investment is a bet that we're making and we wanna show the assumptions that are getting baked into that bet. Yeah, so one of the things that we do, I agree with you that you know there needs to be more thought, more detail in that planning process. So in the guide, what we've done, we've, we've, we provide information on different categories. And again, this is all self-reported from CX leaders. And there's actually two sources that play into the report, uh, just for some reference. One is a, I'll say kind of more of a, uh, of a broader Forrester study that's called the Annual Budget Planning Survey. And this is the one that goes out to a number of different leaders across uh, organizations, not just CX leaders. That has kind of the bare set of questions of, do you anticipate your budget to go up or down? Roughly, how much is your are you anticipating your budget to be next year, and then how much are you anticipating spending in five different categories? And those categories are spending in personnel, spending on data sources, roughly, spending on technology, on initiatives themselves, and then on external services. So, and one other thing I'll add before I forget is the other source of data is uh, the CX team itself does an annual study that's called the State of CX teams survey, we asked the same set of questions to a a global audience of specifically CX leaders. So what we do is we look at the results from both studies to see, you know, is there 
alignment between the two sets of responses. One's more US focused, obviously the other one's global. And you know, what can we draw from any differences? And I will tell you that generally the, the two do track pretty closely together. So if you read the report, you'll see we kind of mention both studies or both sets of data fairly interchangeably. Nice that they validate each other. And also in, in the report, I mean, I, I'm looking at your recommendations and there is a re recommendations around investing in critical skills. So does that fall under personnel or does that fall under another bucket that you're describing? It does fall into, pers into personnel, but it actually touches upon two categories, that one and services. So in our, in our research, we're, we're seeing that companies are generally expecting to spend a bit more on personnel and on average, it's about 22% of their budget. At the same time, we're seeing for services, either a level spend or maybe a small incremental decrease. Our recommendation here is to focus on those key skills that your staff, your internal staff either already have or are easy to develop. Some of the skills that we refer to that are important that will really help organizations continue in building their CX skills and, and also driving closer to that impact of CX2 business are things like understanding how to do journey mapping, understanding more about dashboard design, financial modeling, storytelling. So skills that staff will be using regularly in their jobs in the organization and really de-emphasizing some skills that can be better served outsourced to consulting firms or companies that are, are really more experts, things like strategy development or persona development that an organization might only use periodically and not have to rely on a regular basis. So it's shifting a bit where we're focusing our skill development and really helping companies move more towards action than just insight. And that's a theme that you see in the report as well is across our recommendations is really helping companies think about how do you move from just developing a whole bunch of insights, gathering all this data, maybe bringing it together and saying, hey, we're seeing this and this and really moving more towards now, how do we take action on this? How do we make an impact that we can measure and show to the organization? And one last thing I'll add on that is that then also aligns with where we're seeing more investment in the initiative space as well. So that means companies are looking to try to spend more on how do they actually implement some of the changes or some of the recommendations that have, they've identified in order to have that impact. And one sentence actually stood out to me here. It says, experienced contact center agents are top candidates for becoming conversational designers. Obvious reason why that stood out. There's a lot of fear about the future of experiences and what it means for the humans. How I interpreted that was your current humans are the ones that are going to power the future. That's right. So another kind of underlying element and theme in the report is how AI and more specifically Gen AI plays into changes for CX leaders in the next coming year. And our recommendations lie kind of a bit on that. Here's what to do and here's what to experiment with, because as many of you probably have heard, Gen AI is, is still very much in an experimental phase. There are risks involved, you know, risks of hallucination, certainly privacy concerns about data being used, how often the corpus is being updated, things like that, that 
basically tell us it's not ready for prime time yet, that we really don't recommend a lot of initiatives that would put Gen AI customer facing and instead more back office customer supporting. So this falls into what you just mentioned, Angelina, there, where the contact center staff still have an important role that not just being replaced by the Gen AI saying, oh, here's what the conversation is going to be in a blog or even in a phone call, but let's help that Gen AI tool come up with the right solution. Let's help train it more. Let's still be part of that interaction to help best guide the way that technology is going to be used. There's a nuance there that's really important to call out because on the Future of Work team, we're getting a lot of pushback. Well, if you're saying that Gen AI is going to increase efficiencies for employees, what are they doing with that free time? You're not actually telling us where the business value is. We don't know what the employees are going to be doing. They're going to be helping improve the experiences to get to the next level, it sounds like, to ensure the conversation is just right, to hit on the right emotions, to drive the right loyalty. A lot of opportunity there. And it, it, it starts with planning out the investments and getting the talent in place in the right ways to actually see those results. And what I'm hearing from you is it's not about rushing into it. It's about planning carefully now and starting to move towards those Gen AI use cases. Exactly. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, as you mentioned, there's still a long road before we see any of this Gen AI technology fully replace contact center staff. You know, there's all those nuances that humans understand and see that Gen AI tools don't and can't yet. And, and I'm not sure, uh, to be honest, if they'll be able to. I think that's why it's, it's a long road to get to that point where it, there is just that natural conversation occurring between a tool and a technology and a human. So will that, and one of the last things that stood out to me in this plan guide was that surveys still aren't driving action. Is is the answer in there somewhere in the conversational AI or or is there something we could do now to solve this problem of ineffectual surveys? Yeah, so there's a few things there, and there's actually some new research I'm working on that, uh, again, I can touch upon afterwards. But part of it is for making sure that you're optimizing your surveys. We see a lot of examples where survey instruments and the questions in the surveys are in place because they've been there. People are, are crying for trended data or that you know we've always had that we need it and that's what you know uh that's why we still have it there and you know as a result and and as a side effect we see decrease we always see decreasing response rates lack of participation decreasing participation things like that so there's i think a real opportunity to look at surveys and first at a, at a high level coming almost like market research 101 is say what are the questions we're truly answering with these surveys that are important to the decisions we need to make as an organization. And if the questions that are in the survey are not being used, aren't, aren't supporting uh, or helping in those decisions, get rid of them. You know, there's, it just doesn't make sense to have questions and, and what I call real estate, and certainly uh, the onus on respondents to answer questions that you're not using any of the data for. So there is that step of reviewing all of your surveys, finding out who the stakeholders are for each, asking them how they're using the information and finding opportunities to streamline the content. Kind of the next stage in that is looking at the, the survey content, the questions, the results and saying, is this in any way, you know, how is this driving action? And it goes back to a little bit of what I just said, how is this 
helping me or a stakeholder make a decision what I should do next to improve the experience or, or, or what is the quality of experience. And if you can't answer that question, again, a strong candidate to say, let's take that question out, even if it's just for now. It's that process of reviewing, saying, let, what do we need to really help us identify what the next step is here or what needs to change in order to uh, drive that, uh, that improved customer experience? sounds like that lends itself nicely to hearing what your current research is. Do you mind sharing with the audience so we could see what you're going to come on next to talk about? Yeah. So um, what I'm focusing on is, is AI in general, not specifically Gen AI, but uh, thinking about how AI can help us, in essence, replace or certainly drastically diminish the use of surveys. This will be a topic that uh, I'll be describing or talking about at the North America Forum coming up in June. And so what I've started doing is, is looking at uh, the state of current technology, best practices, what companies, what some companies may be doing in this area, what uh, vendors are helping companies support on. But it's the idea of how can we look at other sources of information about our customers, internal data that helps us understand what happened in the experience, basing it off of initially survey data, but then looking at those correlations and those relationships and modeling data to say, now we no longer need to really ask the survey question because we know that when this happens in the experience, this is the sentiment or this is how customers are generally going to feel as a result. So we can again now look at that survey and say, we really don't need to ask it as frequently as we're doing it, uh, maybe just once a year, because we know from these relationships that we've modeled that this is what's likely going to happen and this is what we need to fix. The other source of all this and where you know AI really uh, kind of shines is looking at all the unsolicited data that's gathered. Again, we talk about call center notes, we talk about social media, anything that's not necessarily survey-based that helps us understand what's the customer sentiment in certain journeys, certain transactions that we can pattern and glean from the data instead of having to ask a survey. It also helps to you know, avoid some of the biases that occur in surveys that you know we're all aware of and we know creates a certain element of error or uncertainty in surveys that you know, we can work to create more certainty in our own data to say, this is what we expect to happen. And this is where we need to make some improvements in order to uh, improve that sentiment, make it more positive. Yeah, that resonates. I have such a love-hate relationship with surveys. Barely skated by with an A in it in grad school, which really hurts this student, but also just always led to more questions than answers. Yeah, and I, and I feel a little weird about it because my, most of my career has been based on use of surveys, uh, in market research, and in consumer insights. So I feel like I'm I'm biting the hand that fed me. But we need to innovate. We need to keep moving on. And we, you know, I think for me the biggest issue there is, you know, we need to improve the experience for our customers, and it, that doesn't happen when you keep surveying them over and over again. Awesome. Well, Pete, thanks for coming on again. And as we were saying before we hit record, you're going to have to come on more often. We need more Pete in our lives. And you do a lot more throughout the year that we need to keep track of. So thanks for uh, coming on. Appreciate it. And hope to see you again soon. All right. My pleasure. Good seeing you. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com. As always, you can find us at forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights.